Welcome to this sermon on what's your morsel of meat? (laughs) What have you sold your soul for? Let's get the background of this portion of scripture that we're really centering in on, which is Hebrews 12, 15 to 17. This back, the background is given in Genesis 25 that we'll go to in a little while and chapter 27. And the background of the, and the context of this writing is, is in the book of Hebrews, which was written to Jewish believers, Hebrews, who were thinking of quitting the race, the Christian race. Hebrews 11, the chapter before chapter 12, we have God's hall of fame of the faithful. In chapter 12, verse 1, wherefore, it says wherefore. And when that's there, we, and there was one preacher, uh, Pastor Doug Couch, who used to always say, find out what it's there for. Wherefore, chapter 11, about the heroes of faith. The point, it points us back to the famous and faithful people and forward to the fight. Verse 1, to cause us to lay aside sin that does so easily beset us that's mentioned in verse 1. And we mentioned this this morning. We are not sinless, but we do and should sin less as a Christian. That's a mark of a Christian. A desire will be not to sin at all, but we will sin. And the weight of sin... that does so easily beset us. We run a Christian race and no runner will carry extra weights to run a race, a physical race. I know in training that some runners put weights on their feet to build up their muscle tone and to make them run better in their actual race. But Christians are to cut all weights loose. All sin that so easily gets us sidetracked on a rabbit trail. To lay aside sin that does so beset us. To make us run with patience. And so think of these things. Think of these Old Testament saints, Hebrews chapter 11. Who run the race and won the race for the Lord Jesus. We have the example of Christ that we are to run with patience. This race, race that is set before us in verses 1 and through to 2, let us run with patience in verse 1, the race that is set before us as a Christian runner, looking unto Jesus. We have his example to run this race. And as I said, we're just going to do summary, and I must be aware of that myself, to get to verse 15. We have that example of the Lord. Looking to him, the author and finisher of our faith, the captain of our salvation, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, is set down at the right hand of God. Look where he is. Look where he's been. See that example. We may suffer too to enter into glory. For consider him that endured such contradiction of sinners against himself, lest ye be wearied and faint. So there's a warning, don't faint, don't be wearied. Consider the Lord Jesus, we have his example. We have the exhortation on chastisement, and this is found in verses 4 through to 11. 
chasten. It means child training, instruction and discipline. The writer viewed the trials of life as spiritual discipline that could help the believer to grow and to mature. You know, when our children are going through schooling, they said, why do they make it so hard all the time? Well, if, you're not, if it's not hard, you're not learning something. If you already know it, you're not growing, you're not learning. And so in the Christian life, if it's not hurting, we're not growing, we're not maturing in the Lord Jesus. We need this, this discipline. It helps us to mature. You can read Romans. Well, let's, let's look there. Romans chapter 5 and verse 3, it reads, And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulations worketh, or tribulation worketh patience. See, <laughs> there it helps us to grow in patience. And patience, experience. And experience, hope. You see, through these trials that we go through, it helps us to grow and to mature. And verse 5, And hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, who was given unto us. And so troubles help us to mature, and chastening helps us to grow as Christians. Instead of trying to escape the difficulties of life, we should rather, as verse 11 of Hebrews 12 tells us, be exercised by these troubles. Now, no chastening for the present time seemeth to be joyous. We didn't enjoy going to the woodshed with Dad or Mum, but afterward it yields the peaceable fruits of righteousness. Back in verse 10, we are made partakers of his holiness through chastisement. But we have to be exercised by the fruit of righteousness unto them that are exercised by it. You know, some children cannot be exercised by discipline. The more you discipline, the more stubborn they become. And that didn't hurt. <laughs> and if we are doing that to the Lord, that didn't hurt. It comes with a bigger stick. And more, <laughs> more discipline and more severe discipline, greater discipline. That we might be exercised, learn to be exercised early in chastisement. That the man we're going to look at this morning wasn't exercised by chastisement. And he, he ended up in a, a miserable man at the end of his life. And so we have the exhortation to be in chastisement, to be exercised by it so that we grow. Chastening is proof that we are God's children and not illegitimate children. It said earlier in verse 8. No chastening proves that we're not Christians. If you're, you, you can go and do your own thing and you can go and commit sin and nothing happens, I'd be worried because that's showing that you're not even a Christian. You're not one of his children. He doesn't chastise those who aren't his children. The Lord doesn't. Why does God chasten? To bring about his righteousness in us, to make us partakers of his holiness. Do we enjoy it? No, but it does make us better. Or it can do what it did to Esau, make us bitter. Even Christians can become bitter and we can defile many people under the sphere of our influence if we will not submit ourselves to discipline and be exercised by it. So we have the example of Christ. We have the exhortation on chastisement. We have the encouragement to continue to press on 
despite the problems, wherefore, in verse 12, lift up the hands that hang down and feeble knees and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. There, in verse 15, it talks about the grace of God. And so we're to, it, to, to be exercised by it, to be encouraged, to continue when, we're, when we've been disciplined and we feel all down. Uh, the, the coach tells us to get up and keep going. He orders us to, to move on in his team. You know, Paul said uh, that he hadn't apprehended, he hasn't got there yet. Philippians 3, 10 to 14. He's pressing on to attain, to follow after, and apprehend and reach forth to the things that are before. In Galatians 6, 9, we read, And let us not be weary in well-doing, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. 1 Corinthians 16.13 Watch, stand fast in the Lord, uh, in the faith, sorry. Quit you like men. Be strong. <laughs> so there's an encouragement to continue, verses 12 to 14 or 13. And then there's the enablement of God's grace in verse 14 and 15. Follow peace with all men and holiness without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently lest any man fail of the grace of God lest any root of bitterness bring up trouble you. And so God's grace does not fail, but we fail to take advantage of his grace in times of trouble, tribulation, testing and discipline. For by grace we are saved through faith, Ephesians 2. By grace, the grace of God, I am what I am, Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15.10. By grace we serve God acceptably, Hebrews 12.28. My grace... The Lord said to Paul, is sufficient for thee. My strength is made perfect in, in weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, 9. We have the enablement of God's grace to keep on in the Christian life and not to quit and not to give up and not to grow bitter as Esau did. Now we get to the point of the sermon here about throwing away your birthright. What's your morsel of meat that you've sold your soul for like Esau. We have the example of carnality, the carnality of Esau. This exemplifies the wrong reaction to chastisement. This is the wrong reaction altogether, bitterness. He become bitter and not better. As I said, we'll read Genesis and the account back in Genesis chapter 25 and verses 24 to 34. We read there in twenty five twenty four. And when the when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb, and the first came out red all over, like a hairy garment, and they called him Esau. And after that came out his brother, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. Heel grabber, it means. And Isaac was threescore years old when she bore old when she bore them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did that which was did eat the of his venison, sorry, and Rebecca loved Jacob. And Jacob sod pottage, and Esau came from the field. And he was faint. 
And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with the same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom, red pottage. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright be to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore to him, and he sold him his birthright unto Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink and rose up and went his way, and Esau despised his birthright. He despised his birthright. On his tombstone, it is written, Esau the Edomite, as we have read in those verses there. Esau the Edomite, where it might have read, Esau who is Israel, but it doesn't and it won't. What a tragic biography, what a terrible decision. Have you, like Esau, sold your birthright? Let's see the description of Esau in verse 16. Lest there be any fornicator. Remember, the writer of Hebrews is speaking to the Hebrew Christians who were growing faint in their walk with the Lord and are considering quitting. And this is a warning to them. Don't do what Esau did. Don't sell your birthright. Don't give up. In verse 16, he was a fornicating person. Lest there be any fornicator. Who is it like? Esau. This is speaking of spiritual fornication. He turned from God to the things of the flesh. Just like the nation of Israel did. They turned from serving God to committing fornication, spiritual fornication, with the idols and the gods of the heathen that were about them. That's why they were told when they went into the promised land not to leave any people existing because their gods would become Israel's gods. They didn't. They didn't get rid of the inhabitants and their gods. The gods of the inhabitants of Canaan become the gods of Israel and led them astray away from the Lord. And so Esau was a fornicating person in this sense that he went after the things of the world. He was concerned only with what was material. He wasn't concerned with the eternal and the spiritual. How about you? What your life's love? What is your desires from the morning service? Is it to love God? Or is it to love sin in this world and the, 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 the pleasures of this world? <laughs> so easily to be easily beset by sin and the pleasures of sin. The pleasures of sin, which are but for a season. They last a short time compared with eternity. So he's a fornicating person. He was a profane person. It mentions in verse 6, the second part, a profane person means a common person, one who lives for the world and not for God. It means outside the temple or not belonging to God, a profane person, not interested in spiritual things. There may be no people who are listening right now who are not interested in spiritual things, otherwise you wouldn't have turned into this, to watch spiritual things. Maybe there is somebody, I don't know, 
that's tuned in, never been interested in spiritual things. I just go my way, I eat, drink and be merry, for tomorrow we may die. Who cares about it because there's no eternity? (laughs) This is a profane person. And let me say, this is the majority of people on planet Earth. Profane in that they're seeking satisfaction in this world and not from the world to come and not from God, but from material stuff. This doesn't mean that he delighted in profanity and went around swearing all the time, that is Esau, but that he was a man of the earth who lived for worldly things and nothing else. He would have made a good neighbour to most people. Had you over for a barbie, talked about the footy and this and that and the other, only worldly things, not mentioned spiritual things. Have you noticed... As a Christian, when you endeavour to witness or talk to unsaved people about spiritual things, you'll change the conversation with a sentence about spirit, to spiritual matters and the next sentence that they give is back to the worldly. They don't want to hear what you've got to say. They are profane people. He was a bartering person. In verse 16, lest any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who's who for one morsel of meat that we read about there in Genesis 25, sold his birthright. What's the use of my birthright if I die? Give me some pottage and I'll sell you my birthright. Living for the temporal, living for the short term, living without eternity's values in view. He bartered his birthright. He, being the firstborn by custom, would have received twice as much as the younger brother, Jacob. Jacob was hanging on to his heel, <laughs> as you know. And Jacob was a plain man, a man that stayed at home, a man that didn't go out hunting, a man that was loved by his mother. But here, Esau would have been head of the family. He could have been in the hall of the fame of the faithful in Hebrews 11, but he's not. He may have been of the lineage of the in the lineage of the Lord, but he's not. He despised his birthright. What if he hadn't despised his birthright? But he despised his birthright. Millions, billions of people in the, on this planet are despising the birthright. They've been born once into this world that they might be born again for the world to come. And they're despising their birthright. They're profane people. They're living for the temporal. They're bartering their soul away. They're, they're gambling their soul. And they're going to end up in condemnation. What a plight of the souls of wicked men. Who will not heed the Lord's warning to come to himself. He was... Fourthly, a blighted person. Esau was a blighted person. Verse 17, for ye know how after when he would have inherited the blessing, when he would have got that, and how many people slip out into eternity or on their deathbed, and they would have eternal life in the next few minutes to go to be with God, and they cannot. It's too late. 
they end up like the rich man in the story of the rich man and Lazarus in hell and are tormented forever and wished they could change the situation, but they cannot. Just if I hadn't made that decision, if I hadn't sold my birthright, I've been born that I might be born again and God is not willing that any should perish. Why is it that though he prayed earnestly with tears, as we read there, he was rejected. He found no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. You know, God, aren't you going to listen to this man? He's in tears. It looks like he's truly turning around. <laughs> but no, they're not the tears of repentance. They're tears of remorse for being caught out. He was repentant because of what he had lost out on on the material blessings not because of his sin of rejecting his birthright it's like second corinthians and chapter 7 verse 9 to 10 now I re- rejoice not that you were made sorry but that you sorrowed to repentance these people truly talking about repentance for you were made sorry after a godly manner esau wasn't sorry after a godly manner that ye might receive damage by us in nothing. For godly sorrow worketh repentance to salvation, not to be repented of. But the sorrow of the world worketh death. And what Esau had was the sorrow of the world that worketh death and that eternal death. And we could read on in that portion of Scripture, but we move on for sake of time there. Have you, have you truly repented? You're truly remorseful for your sin. Not sorry that you got caught in your sin. Not sorry that you go out in, going to slip out into eternity without being saved and lost in your sin. But sorry because you have transgressed the holy commands of God and have come and said, Lord, forgive me. As a, as a prodigal come home, Father, forgive me. I have sinned. I repent of my sin. But he was a blighted person He couldn't change. He was on a one-way road to eternal condemnation. The book of Acts 17.30 tells us, In the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now he commandeth all men everywhere to repent. Repent of what? Their sins. Repent of their sins. Timothy, 2 Timothy 2.25, In meekness instructing those who oppose themselves. Uh, sinners oppose themselves. Esau opposed himself. If God peradventure will give them repentance to the acknowledgement of the truth, that they repent with a godly sorrow. He became a bitter person from fornicating, profane, bartering, blighted to a bitter person. A person who has only repented for being caught out in their sin. That's Esau. That is, they hate what life has dished out to them because of their profane decision. Maybe you're listening here today, you're older. You remember way back in your teen years or childhood days where you were challenged to become a Christian. Where the opportunity arose where the Holy Spirit was speaking to your heart. It was convicting you of sin and righteousness and judgment to come. And you said, no, no. I want to live my life as I please. And you have, and now you're older. If you've got life, 
you've still got breath, you've still got hope to come in true repentance. If God will seek you, you and you seek him, he will be found by you. Don't be one who, can, who sells your birthright of being born again to enter life eternal for just a few more days of fleshly satisfaction. This man, Esau, didn't. He continually grew bitter and hard-hearted, blaming his situation on others, but never on their own sin. And you're going to slip out into eternity like Esau without hope, without faith, without God. What a terrible state to be in. If you're younger here today and God has spoken to you at a camp or in a Sunday school or in a sermon and you know that it's the Holy Spirit and he's again speaking to you to trust the Lord Jesus to be your saviour, don't delay. Don't become like Esau. Don't end up at the end of life bitter and mad at everything and every everyone because of your situation that seems impossible. Vernon McGee said, One critical, ugly saint in a church can stir up more trouble than you can possibly imagine. He, being a pastor, knew what that was about. Just like one rotten apple in a box of, can spoil all the good apples. I remember a man delivered to a pastor a box of apples and he was at odds with the pastor. And the pastor thought, oh, things have gotten right. Things must be on the mend. And as he dug down into the apples, he was one real rotten one in the middle of it all. And uh, trying to rebuke the pastor. Praise God, that got sorted out. Before the end of life, the man got sorted out with the pastor. (laughs) And wasn't calling him a rotten apple in the midst of good apples. But anyway, (laughs) that's by the way. Let's not become a bitter person in a fellowship. Christians can become bitter too because of the things that life deals them. And this is what this portion is about. Chastisement, react correctly to it. Esau didn't. We don't have to. We don't have to be like Esau. We can change. What have we sold our soul for? What mess of pottage? What bowl of red pottage of and lintels have we sold ourselves for? What have we lived our life for? Ask yourself if you're older, what have I done with my life that was a gift from God? How have I spent it? You know, the, Paul said, spend, was it the Lord? Spend and be spent. For who? Not for number one, but for the Lord who is, ought to be number one. What have you sold your soul for? What have you despised your birthright for? What is your morsel of fleshly meat you've given up your life for? For which you've given up eternity for? God wants you not to sell your soul, but to come to him and become his own own son. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His offering of himself covered the sins of the whole world. Not just our, that is Christian sins, First John 2, 2. The Lord wants all to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, First Timothy 2, 4. He doesn't want any to perish. Peter said that the Lord is long-suffering toward us in verses 9 of chapter 3, which we've already quoted. Matthew said, he is not willing that it is not 
the will of your Father who is in heaven, that one of these little ones should perish. Hebrews tells us, but we see Jesus who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honour that he by the grace of God should taste death for every man. You see, God has made it possible for every man through Christ to be saved, to be born again, as the Lord told Nicodemus back in John's Gospel, that everyone can be born again. Why will you sell your soul for this world and this life and the temporal material things that all going to be burnt up anyway? This old world is going to be folded up like an old garment and put away one day. It's going to go out with a bang, actually. It tells us in Second Peter chapter 3. It's going to go bang and all be destroyed. And it's all going to be burnt up. And then there will be only those who have trusted in God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. God doesn't want anyone to perish. He's made it possible for whosoever to be saved. Whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. It says it in Romans 10, 9 to 13. It tells us in John three sixteen, and underline it. Go through the gospel of John and mark out whosoever, whosoever, whosoever. That's you, that's me. Don't sell your soul from mess of pottage. Don't be satisfied with this life and this world only. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul, said God? What have you set your affections on? The Bible tells us in Colossians 3, 2, set your affections on things above and not on things of the world. Matthew six nineteen. Lay not up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust is break through and steal and corrupt. I can guarantee, guarantee, absolute guarantee that when we get out into eternity, if we have not, if we have believed on the Lord Jesus, we will be so grateful and so thankful. If we get out on the other side and we're unsaved and we're in hell, we'll be so regretful. And for all eternity, that'll last, that regret, but can't change it. Don't sell your soul for anything short of eternal life in the Lord Jesus. Lay out for yourselves treasure in heaven. What mortal of flesh, of meat, are you selling your soul for? For which have you become a profane person and sold your soul, instead of being born again from above? You'd rather be born only from below and be damned to eternal hell. John three seventeen to 19 Have no regard for your eternal soul. Have you no regard for your eternal soul? Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Love not the world, the Bible says plainly. Someone put it like this. The love of the world, the profane person loves self. He loves shekels, which is dollars, shekels in Israel. Sex, stomach, and sports. Doesn't that describe most of the people? You know, what are they trying to get going after the lockdown of coronavirus? Sports. Sports. It's like, I can't do without my sports. I can't do without my stomach. Open up the restaurants. <laughs> That's not living. I pray that you understand the importance of your soul. What shall you give in exchange for your soul? Nothing. 
believe on the Lord Jesus. Some sell their souls for possessions, for popularity, for promotion, for people and power. Then they go out into eternity and they say, Lord, Lord, no one told me. Ah, yes, God told you somewhere along your life and you said no. And you, like Esau, grew bitter and and you didn't like life because life was going to end and all the things you gathered around you only mocked you and couldn't save your soul. If God is visiting you at this time, don't put off believing. Don't become bitter like Esau. Become a Christian and become better. If you're a Christian already, don't become bitter, but become better. In the trials of life, say, Lord, I didn't need that anyway. Take it. Are we willing to give it up that we might have the blessings of eternity? Don't sell your soul to the world, to the things of the world, to Satan, because Satan will be in hell too. Give it to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let him take your life and make it and mould it to be something for his glory, just like all those in Hebrews chapter 11, who are now in heaven and saying, thank you, Lord, for directing me in the path you did. Thank him for the sufferings and the tribulations and trials, because it just made me more like you. It's taking the old Adam's image and stamping your image in its place. Let's be thankful for what God has done as Christians. If you're unsaved, confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus. Believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, and thou shalt be saved. I give you that invitation to come to know the Lord Jesus, whom to know is life eternal. Let us pray. Thank you, Lord, for this example of this man. That we be warned not to go this way. We could seek it with tears of repentance and remorse, or remorse more than repentance, and not have anything, no answer coming. But Lord, if we trust in you and believe on you, we have life eternal, and we know that and we'll go out into eternity with great blessing. Reach out into the hearts of people now listening that they might know that they have eternal life. They would not sell their soul for the things of this world and lose out for eternity. Bring them to you. Call them to yourself. Convict them of their sin. Make them your children. For your praise and your honour and your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.